from the studios of One Jacks Productions. This is The Revealing, a ministry of One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. All right, welcome back once again to another episode of The Revealing. I am Robert, as you probably have come to know if you've been spending time with us over the last over a year now, I believe. Um, thank you for tuning in once again. It means means a great deal to us. We are we are grateful uh, for your faithfulness as we seek to uh, study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. As I mentioned last week, uh, Frank and Chris are out of the studio once again. Uh, they will definitely be back with us next week. Uh, so um, it's just me here. Uh, but I am grateful uh, to spend this time with you. And um, hey, it's not a bad thing at all. We um, try to do things a little different every now and then just to shake it up and uh, just try to have a little bit of variety because um, things can quickly and easily become monotonous. We, we understand that. So um, Chris and Frank were not able to be here, uh, but um, we are going to uh, move forward uh, with this study and conclude it, as a matter of fact, today here in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, if you uh, were listening last week, you may recall in the latter part of chapter 5, uh, the Apostle Paul dealt with Christian marriage. And now in the beginning of chapter 6, he deals with the relationship between children and parents in the home, specifically in the Christian home. You know, I believe it, it's given in that order uh, for, pur- for a purpose and on purpose. The best thing we can do for our children is have a strong Christian biblical marriage, one that glorifies and honors the Lord. And it's very sad to think about the fact that most children today, even in churches, are being raised in homes that do not have both a godly father and mother. And so as we go into uh, the word of God today, uh, we'll look at the first four verses in Ephesians 6. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth and ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so he focuses here as, as we said there in verse one um, through three uh, on children and the children, if you notice he's writing to children and he's writing to the church in Ephesus, so the children were in the assembly with their parents. Did you know that? Because Paul speaks directly to them, knowing that they would have a presence there when his epistle was read publicly. Children must be trained to listen to the word of God with respect. They should also see that modeled by their parents, not just listened or not just listening to the word of God, but obeying the word of God. Families should not be split up every time uh, they come to church. Of course, it's good um, for children to go uh, into a children's ministry and and, and, uh, teenagers into a youth ministry, Uh, but there should be a time as well as the age is appropriate um, for for them to um, be, whether it is in the, again, children's ministry classroom or once they become a little older, um, of course, they can go to youth group or whatnot, but then to be in the service, in the assembly, uh, as a family, uh, to obey in the Lord, uh, he goes on here in, in Ephesians 6, uh, means uh, to obey as unto the Lord, uh, recognizing that he set them in authority over you. Either disobedience to parents, the word of God is clear, is sin. 
And of course, Second uh, Timothy chapter three and verse two tells us this disobedience to parents will, would be a characteristic of the last days in which we are living. Of course, all authority is conditioned on God's authority. And you know, it's not enough to go through the motions of obedience. You are to honor your parents, he says. The Bible doesn't say obey and honor them if you think they are worthy of it. You are to do it as unto the Lord, he also says. Why? Why are we to honor them and, and, and do so as unto the Lord? Well, number one, it pleases God. Colossians 3.20 is very clear on that. It is right, he says, and it will be well with you if you do. Uh, this is uh, the first commandment with a promise attached to it. And I want you to notice something very, very important here. This commandment with a promise attached to it is from Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, which says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long. But but in Exodus, it doesn't say that it doesn't have the same ending as it does in Ephesians. Because in Ephesians, he says, uh, On the earth, that your days may be long on the earth. He's writing to those of us in the church age, to Christians. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, when the commandment was given to Israel, to the Jews, he says, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And that just shows us that God is very protective, if I can say it that way, of his people, of Israel. There's a very, very, very uh, glaring and, and and strong um, division in the Word of God and in, in the will of God and the plan of God between the church and Israel. And please do not confuse or compromise the two. And then he goes on in verse 4 and he talks about parents. And the fathers are addressed because they are the head of the home. The father and mother must work together as a team, but the father must take that lead in bringing up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Yes, there, there are roles and characteristics and strengths that only mom has and does well, does best. And same for dad. But fathers, we are called to take that leading role in bringing up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And there is a negative and positive admonition here. He says, provoke not, uh, uh, provoke uh, by harshness and hypocrisy. And then he says, bring them up. Oh, that needs to be purposeful. It needs to be active and not passive. And, and bringing them up, how, in what? The nurture which is the discipline that builds and is motivated by love, and then the admonition, which are words of correction and instruction, uh, the negative and the positive admonition. It should be the goal of Christian parents to lead their children to Christ and help them grow strong in a real relationship with the Lord. You know, concerning the salvation of children, we must be very careful. The goal is not to get them to ask Jesus into their heart. I know that is the big 
push and emphasis uh, in, in churches and in the church in Western culture today in the 21st century here. But where is that in the Bible? Asking Jesus into your heart. Biblically, might I encourage you, they must know they are a sinner under the condemnation of God and trust Christ alone to be reconciled to him. We must faithfully, as parents, give them the gospel of Christ and trust God to use it in their hearts. And then they exercise that that understanding. And when that realization comes and that conviction comes, they call on him as their Lord and Savior. And that is biblical salvation. Turning from their sin and calling on him and turning to him in trust and faith. And he goes on here, <clears throat> verses 5 through 9. Servants, he says, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. With good will doing service as to the Lord, not to men. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. You know, all believers have the same spiritual standing in Christ. But while on earth there are still distinctions that matter, and that's why Paul, in this epistle that emphasizes the spiritual unity of the body of Christ, that's what Ephesians is doing, re- revealing the mystery of the church and emphasizing uh, the body of Christ. He's careful to exhort wives to submit to their husbands, husbands to love their wives as Christ of the church, children to obey their parents, uh, servants to obey their masters. And so we see these uh, distinctions. And have you ever noticed all the scripture in Paul's epistles in which he exhorts servants to be good servants and to serve their masters as unto the Lord. He also exhorts masters to be good to their uh, servants and to remember that they have a master in heaven. Paul never tells servants to run away or masters to get rid of their servants. In the epistle of Philemon, Paul writes to a faithful believer who owns servants uh, he, he had led one of his runaway servants, Onesimus, to Christ while in prison. So, so Paul meets this man named Onesimus, um, and he comes to find out he was a runaway servant, and he leads him to Christ. And, and what Paul does is he writes an epistle to Philemon, who, who, was, who, who had owned this servant, and Paul sent him back to his master with a letter in which he beseeched Philemon to receive Onesimus back. And since the fall of man, slavery has existed in this world, and unfortunately it still exists today. Uh, Many people groups have been enslaved. Uh, Some historians have estimated that half the population of the Roman Empire was composed of slaves with no personal rights. And it's no doubt the message of true liberty in Christ appealed to the servants that heard Paul and his co-laborers preach the gospel. Many servants trusted Christ and were in the churches that Paul wrote to, and more than likely they were tempted to use their newfound freedom in Christ as an excuse to to disobey and defy their masters. 
And I, I want to just uh, take pause for a moment and and distinguish here. Um, we, we are not um, talking about what we think of today as modern-day slavery, a heinous, um, ungodly, uh, dark, evil practice uh, of abuse um, and, and thinking that one can own and control another human being uh, for their own selfish uh, will. And this is why where we need to understand that, that words in the Bible uh, mean things. And, and, and in a King James Bible, the word slave is used once. And the word slaves is used once. And it does not use the word slavery. And so that is not what this passage is referring to. It does, however, use the word servant just over 500 times. And the plural of that, servants, 480 times. And if you study all that the Bible says about this issue, you will learn that there were some things about it that were different from what we might think with our modern and Western mindset. And, you know, according to the law of Moses, God allowed Israel to have servants, but they were not to be mistreated. Leviticus 25 is very clear on that. This proves that having servants was not an evil in and of itself. Otherwise, God would have prohibited it. Listen, we should not judge an institution by its abusers. For example, governments often abuse their authority. Does this prove that the institution of government is evil? Well, no. The Word of God does teach that it is evil to steal a man and sell him as a slave. Deuteronomy 24, 1 Timothy 1, Revelation 18 even. The Bible is very clear. And you know, the body of Christ, to which Paul is referencing in Ephesians, is not a nation. We are all servants of the Lord and should not desire to own servants. Furthermore, the Apostle Paul did not preach a social gospel. The church has not been called to make the world a better place to go to hell from. This world cannot and will not be a righteous and peaceful place until the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus Christ, comes and establishes his righteous kingdom on this earth. This present evil world will come to an end when Christ comes again. We are called to get sinners saved out of this present evil world. And Paul didn't try to overthrow the Roman government. If Paul would have told servants to run away, it would have been against the law, endangering the servants, and worst of all, hindering the gospel. You know, Paul considered the furtherance of the gospel to be much more important than his rights or even his life. For Paul, it was all about personal responsibility and not personal rights. We have been bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6.20 tells us, the blood of Christ, right? And we are to be servants of God, which, by the way, is much better than being a servant of sin. And by sending Onesimus back to his, his master, Paul knew that he was not uh, uh, obeying the law of Moses. Deuteronomy 23, 15 Thou shalt not deliver unto his master the servant which is escaped from his master unto thee. 
So I reference that because this is very important for us to understand the, the distinction, again, between the nation of Israel and the church, the body of Christ. Uh, believing masters uh, that were kind to their servants and treated them well would have a great opportunity to lead them to Christ. Ephesians 6, 9, Colossians 4, 1. Uh, believing servants that diligently serve their masters well, uh, even if unfortunately mistreated, would be a powerful testimony for Christ. And the Bible references that, Ephesians 6, 5-9, Colossians 3, 22-25. A saved servant has a spiritual uh, freedom and contentment in Christ, and that is what matters most. And when the Lord comes, all believers will be glorified with him. And so I think, uh, practically speaking, uh, today we can apply the passages concerning masters and servants to employers and employees. If you're an employee, obey your authority at work. Seek to please your authority. Do not disrespect your authority in word or in deed or even in thought. Do not steal from your employer. Be a faithful and honest worker. Serve your employer with singleness of heart as unto Christ and not as men pleasers. And whatever you do, do it heartily. As far as as employers are concerned, always keep in mind that you too are under authority. Do not threaten your workers and give to your workers what is just and equal. And as Paul concludes this great epistle, he warns us about the spiritual warfare we face as members of the body of Christ. If we are going to serve God, we must fight the good fight of faith as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We are not to be focused on fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Uh, Satan uses men, yes, but we must see beyond the people he uses and understand what he is doing in opposition to God's purpose and plan. You know, there is a vast uh, spirit world that is invisible. Colossians 1.16 tells us that. It's invisible to our physical eyes. But we can know the truth about it from the word of God. Uh, The principalities, uh, the territories of a prince— the principalities, the powers, which are the authorities, the rulers, which are the princes, that we fight against has to do with spiritual wickedness. And they're in high places, the Bible says. Satan always opposes what God is doing. And how he works is always in accordance with how God is working. He's always seeking to, as we mentioned last week, imitate God. When Christ was on the earth doing visible signs and wonders, Satan's opposition was also visible. But now God is working spiritually, not visibly in this present age. Therefore, Satan is also working spiritually and not visibly. Paul warns us again and again about spiritual deception. 1 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 3. And if we fail to put on the whole armor of God, described here in Ephesians 6, We will not be able to stand against the wiles of the devil or the the clever tricks designed to deceive us. And the book of Ephesians here, it opened with with our spiritual blessings in heavenly places, Ephesians 1.3. And now it closes with our spiritual battle in high places. Israel is God's earthly people. The body of Christ is is his heavenly people, Ephesians 2, 6, as we are seated in heavenly places, even now as believers in Christ. 
God gave Israel a piece of land, and they had to fight flesh and blood enemies to possess and enjoy what was what God said was theirs. Likewise, God has given us all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, and we must fight in Christ spiritual enemies to appropriate and enjoy what is already ours. Just as Israel was to fight their enemies by depending on the power of God, we must be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, as the Bible says, if we are going to stand against our enemies. It's interesting, in the book of Exodus, God redeemed Israel out of Egypt, right? And in the book of Joshua, he brought them into the land of promise. And in between those books is the book of Numbers, And we see that Israel failed to possess their land at the first because of unbelief, and they therefore wandered in the wilderness. They finally got it, but not not at first. Similarly, the book of Romans teaches us about our redemption by the blood of Christ. The book of Ephesians teaches us about the spiritual blessings God wants us to walk in and enjoy. And in between those books, we learn that it is possible for believers to not appropriate who they are in Christ because of unbelief and disobedience and therefore wonder in a spiritual wilderness. And those books are 1 Corinthians and the book of Galatians. And then he goes on here, and uh, back in Ephesians 6, he says here in verse 13, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, Paul is asking, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which, he says in verse 20, I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You know, Paul liked to use metaphors. I'm sure he was very familiar with the armor of a Roman soldier, He was quite possibly and probably being guarded by one as he wrote this epistle. Uh, But in this passage, he uses the pieces of the soldier's army to metaphorically teach about the spiritual qualities we must walk in each day if we are going to stand in uh, this evil day. And the picture is that of a soldier fully dressed in armor and standing ready to fight. I want you to notice how Paul called it the whole armor of God. He mentions seven pieces In the Bible, seven is the number of perfection. If we leave off a piece, Satan will find that opening. It is God's responsibility to provide that armor, as he said he would, but it is our responsibility to put it on. A spiritual war must, or excuse me, a spiritual war uh, against spiritual enemies uh, must uh, necessitate spiritual weapons. It requires spiritual weapons. And to put on this spiritual armor is to put on Christ. As to our standing, we put on Christ the moment of salvation. Again, positionally speaking. But practically, as to our state, we must put on Christ by faith in our daily walk. We are to stand 
and to withstand, the Bible says. So let's talk about a few of these things uh, that he, these things, these seven uh, pieces of the armor of God as we uh, begin to conclude this discussion. First, he talks about the loins gird about with truth. You know, the soldier's loins were gird about with a strong leather belt that held other pieces of his armor together. And this truth is foundational to the whole armor of God. Christ is the truth. John 14, 6 tells us that, right? And the scripture is the truth. John 17, 17. And Satan is a liar and he deceives through counterfeit. We must be grounded in the truth. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 15 taught us that. If it were not possible for believers to be to be deceived, why would Paul say again and again, be not deceived? We must be genuine and sincere in our Christian walk. And Satan can spot a fake and will most definitely attack. Uh, number two, he goes on and talks about the breastplate of righteousness. The breast, uh, excuse me, breastplate covered the vital organs of the heart and the lungs. Uh, without a breastplate, the soldier would not last very long in battle. You know, we, we, we can't stand against the devil and his army without righteousness. In another passage, Paul refers to the armor of righteousness, uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 7. And so, again, I, I want to emphasize positionally, we have the righteousness of Christ given to us by faith at the point of salvation, Romans 3, 22. Yet practically, the right, righteousness of Christ needs to be manifest through us. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 18. The third component he talks about is uh, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Uh, the right shoes were important for a soldier. I don't mean right versus left, but the correct shoes, the right gear. Warfare was often hand-to-hand combat. and The soldier's shoes had nails in the heels to give him traction. The application here is that we must be prepared to preach the gospel no matter where we are. Paul was faithful to preach the gospel to kings and servants alike. Uh, Satan, he's working to keep the lost blinded to the gospel. So we should pray about getting souls saved, yes, but let's put feet to our prayers. It is the gospel of peace because it is the good news of how sinners can have peace with God and have the peace of God. The fourth part he talks about of this armor is the shield of faith. And, you know, the soldier's shield was large enough for him to hide behind when fiery uh, darts were shot at him. And I want you to notice the priority of the shield. It says, above all. Uh, Faith is essential to operate all the other pieces And that is why it is the the central piece listed. Satan and his soldiers will shoot fiery darts of doubts and fears, lies, false doctrine, uh, many other evil things. And faith in God's word and God's word alone, my friends, will quench all the fiery darts. We are saved through faith. Are we not? Ephesians 2 tells us we are saved by grace through faith. And we must walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 tells us. And so the shield is not our faith, but the object of our faith. 
The fifth component of the armor he talks about is the helmet of salvation. And obviously, the helmet was an absolute necessity for the soldier to protect the vital organ of his brain. An assurance of salvation is essential to being a good soldier of Christ. And by comparing Scripture with Scripture, uh, specifically 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 8-9, through 9, we learn that the helmet of salvation is the knowledge of our blessed hope. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 8-9, through 9, Paul says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's talking about here that, that wrath that is to come, uh, the, the day of the Lord. And, and, and we are to be looking for Christ to come and catch us away to heaven before the, the uh, prophesied uh, time of Jacob's trouble begins. And our rapture, uh, friends, was a mystery revealed to Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, and it's, it's found in, in his epistles, of course, and many preachers today are preaching, unfortunately, that the church will go through some or even all of the tribulation period simply because they are not rightly dividing the word of truth, taking what is Bible, what is right doctrine, yet misapplying it to the wrong people group. Number six, and finally, the sword of the Spirit. And you know, this is our main offensive weapon. With this sharp sword, we we could cut spiritual enemies. Uh, God promised to provide us with the sword of the Spirit. And the fact that he did that proves that we still have the inspired word of God today. Every inspired and preserved word. Satan hates the word of God and has attacked it from the beginning, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. He wants to replace our sharp sword with something else. And unfortunately, most professing Christians today are using a butter knife instead of a two-edged sword. And among those that use the sword of the Spirit, many do not know how to handle it. And, and I say that not to um, criticize, but to challenge you. And with the sword of the Spirit, we are able to defeat temptation. Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 4. Verses 1 through 11, when Satan came to him, every time he was tempted of him, he responded to that temptation with the word of God. So with the sword of the Spirit, we can defeat temptation. We can evangelize the lost. We can build believers up in the faith. Uh, evangelism and, and building believers up. Discipleship, y'all. And, and, and I think I, I said that the sixth one was the last one there. Uh, I, I, that's my, my fault. I, I told you earlier there was seven. Why would I say that? I wasn't thinking. Uh, but, but finally, uh, praying always. Praying always. We need constant communication with our captain. Prayer is, is both a defensive and an offensive weapon. Praying in the Spirit is not praying in some kind of unintelligible prayer language. All believers are in the Spirit. The ministry of the Spirit has to be emphasized throughout this epistle. 
Rome, uh, excuse me, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, 2, 18 and 22, 3, 5 and 16, 4, 3 and 30, 5, 9 and 18, uh, 6, 17 and 18, um, referencing the chapters and verses there uh, in Ephesians where the ministry of the Spirit has been emphasized. And real prayer is a spiritual labor that the world, the flesh, and the devil will oppose. We are to pray always, he says, with all prayer and all perseverance and all, excuse me, for all saints. Paul requests specific prayer for boldness to speak. And look what he prayed for. He prayed to speak the mystery of the gospel. He prayed that he might uh, be able to have the opportunity to give utterance to the gospel. That was his heart's desire. What is your heart's desire? What to the top of your prayer request? Is there anything on the list more than that, higher than that? In Colossians, he requested prayer for boldness to speak the mystery of Christ. And you know, Satan hates these mysteries. He's actively opposing those who labor to make them known. And we need to pray too for boldness to keep speaking the truth in the face of his fierce opposition. My friends, I hope this this time in Ephesians 6 has been profitable, uh, has been a blessing to you, has encouraged you. Uh, Maybe the Lord has used it to convict you. Uh, He definitely has me. Um, I I do thank you for spending time with us and uh, am grateful for that. I'm looking forward uh, to spending some more time with the guys next week here in the studio as we bring uh, a new series or a new study uh, to you. We're excited to roll that out, so stay tuned for that. Until then, do take care and God bless. Thank you for listening to The Revealing, a podcast ministry of One Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida. Senior Pastor Frank Silvaggio, Associate Pastor Robert Engel. For more information about One Baptist Jacks, please go to our website, onebaptistjacks.world, or email us, info at onebaptistjacks.world.